0: This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence.
1: Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Katie Bowles and James Forsyth. So James, over the weekend, the situation in Ukraine seems to have got much worse. Um, Can you update listeners on what's going on? Because the Americans do seem to think that war is uh, imminent.
0: So there was another Biden-Putin call over the, the weekend. That does not seem to have resolved anything. And... We had the US warning that that a war could start as soon as kind of Wednesday of this week. That's a a, a frequent feature of of US intelligence briefings on this question. I think what is clear now is that Vladimir Putin has assembled everything on the borders of Ukraine that he would need to to launch an invasion. And the question then becomes, what will it take for him not to do that? I think the hope that the threat of, Western sanctions that are more severe than anything that's been seen in the past would be enough to deter him is receding. You had uh, the Ukrainian ambassador to the UK last night floating the idea that Ukraine might be prepared to say that it doesn't want to join NATO anymore, if that is what it would take to avert war. That would certainly offer Vladimir Putin a kind of diplomatic off-ramp, if you see what I mean, in that he could say, look, I'm pulling my troops back because I have now achieved something, which is that Ukraine has accepted that it will not be joining the NATO alliance. I still think, as I said on the, the Saturday edition of Coffeehouse Shots, that the view of a kind of canniest observers of Moscow and the UK government is right, that what Vladimir Putin will do is something that is designed to further expose splits in the Western alliance. And if he were to, 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 to simply launch a full-on invasion of Ukraine, I think the Western response to that would be uh, unified because, you know, no one could accept that. I think the challenge is if he does something less than that and that he would be looking to do something that would expose the fact that there are subtle differences in the positions of say the US and the UK and France and Germany and you know whether he moves to do something like that I mean that is the big question I think the other thing is you know we are already seeing the Russians attempting to create leverage, I think, for future negotiations. Look at the fact they have stopped uh, the export of ammonium nitrate. Russia produces about two-thirds of ammonium nitrate. That's crucial to fertilizer production. If the price of fertilizer goes up, in time, the price of food goes up. I and mean, that is clearly something that Russia is trying to do. to So it, it can basically say, well, look, if you're going to put sanctions on Russian energy exports... We won't export these these materials that that are needed in your industries. I think one other thing to watch for is we know that there will be massive sanctions on Russian financial institutions if Russia were to invade Ukraine. I I think one thing that the regulators in various Western countries have been warning banks about is that they expect Russia to respond to that with, you know, semi-official cyber attacks on Western banks and financial institutions. So on the one hand, it seems like this is very far away from, you know, this is, you know, to to, to use that infamous phrase, a faraway country of which we know little. I think unlike some other conflicts of recent times, I think this will be something that we do feel to some extent in our daily lives because of this cyber attack element of things.
1: Now, Katie, uh, the Defence Secretary Ben Wallace made headlines over the weekend when he compared some of the Western countries' diplomatic efforts with Russia as a, with a whiff of Munich, referring to Neville Chamberlain's appeasement of Hitler. What did you make of those comments? Do you think that they were quite
2: right? Well, they've got quite a divided response. I think that there are some who agree with Ben Wallace and are sceptical and judgmental of how certain other NATO allies such as France or if you look at you know Germany's this, are dealing with the threats from Russia and worry that in a way what James is talking about this idea that you would you know offer something to prevent something bigger is that a long-term strategy are you just suggesting that Russia can keep coming back and getting more and, and actually by playing you know the big bully and get get what it wants, are you going to reward that type of behaviour? I think that you can clearly see and probably I think that where this seems to backfire the most, I think is the most meaningful, is obviously the uh, response from the Ukraine government. So you've had Ukraine ambassadors say it was wrong to, of Ben Wallace to offend our partners by drawing parallels with a policy of appeasement and suggesting that you know this is not helpful to anyone. But I think it also hits on something else, which you can see from the Ukraine perspective. They've repeatedly actually urged you know, including Britain, to play down this war-like ret- rhetoric. And you can see that there will be a few reasons they'll be doing that. Um, partly, I mean, by talking about things like that, are you upping the ante? Mm. You know, you... And I think there's always to take with a heavy pinch of salt what comes out from Russia on this. But you, know, you are hearing, you know, Putin's ambassadors, various um, Russian ambassadors saying, you know, you, they will come back when someone says something, you know, war-like with, you know, a stronger phrase. And I think it's a bit of that. But also just in terms of, I think... The economy in Ukraine. They talking about the, the idea that there could be, you know, war any day mm. now, and you know, constantly putting this stuff out is making it feel very uncertain there. Now, that could well be because it is a very uncertain time there. But you can just see from that perspective in. The Western allies have seem to have a strategy here, which is partly, you know, to talk up things, but also when they get intelligence briefings, to almost put it out in the public domain. And mm. um, so the fact that you know we're now hearing on the U.S. side, I think Wednesday could be the day. You heard from Liz Truss previously, talking about um, how intelligence suggests, you know, they were, you know, now ready to do this full-scale invasion, and I think that. This has some pros in the sense that it's trying to work out how to you know, kind of wrong foot Russia or kind of or make it so Putin isn't quite sure how to respond. But if you're Clearly, the country at the centre of mm. all this, it can also have a destabilising effect.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And on that economic point, I think President Zelensky in Ukraine has un- has announced a $600 million fund to underwrite those flights that have been cancelled because of the tensions there. James, do you think that the strategy that has described of releasing intelligence is a effective one, and also partly I guess you know from our conversation with people like Owen Matthews and other Russian journalists have said similar that russia doesn't really seem to be having the same kind of conversation within its borders, so could the Intel from the American side be you know, exaggerated or not quite right, as we saw in the Iraq war, for example.
0: So I think one of the things that really worries, and one of the reasons why you're seeing this unprecedented release of intelligence, is what is a great concern in London and Washington, is that Putin will launch some kind of false flag attack, to act as a justification for invasion. You know, it has been a feature of Russian foreign policy since Catherine the Great, that Russia thinks it has a right to interfere in other countries to protect Russian-speaking Orthodox Christians. And one of the concerns is that, you know, in one of these two regions where there are Russian proxies in Ukraine, but, you know, that the Russians might themselves, for example, launch some kind of mortar attack on those places, then say that that has been carried out by, Uh, Ukrainian government forces, and to protect people in those regions, Russia is now moving in militarily. I think that's one of the reasons why the West is so keen to put its intelligence out there, because... It worries about, you know, 72 hours of confusion about whether this was a false flag attack or not, in which time, you know, Putin could have created new facts on the ground. And that, that, you know, that initial confusion could also slimy attempts to get a unified Western response going. So I think I think it is an attempt to say, you know, look, we know what you are up to. Don't think that announcing some kind of false flag attack as justification will, will be effective. I also think your point about the, the economy is completely right. You know, the reason that the Ukrainians want Joe Biden to go there is to, is to try and send a symbol of normality at but it's very hard to in a symbol normality when, you know, Western embassies are being evacuated, there's a flight of capital, a flight of people. These Russian naval exercises are essentially making it very hard for Ukraine to export things. And, you know, one of the things about the situation at the moment is even without Russia launching an invasion, it has already done significant damage to the Ukrainian economy. And, you know, I think the general view is that this troop buildup on the Ukrainian border cannot be maintained for much more than two to three weeks. And so I think people have a view that, you know, by the end of this month, we will know what Putin is going to do or not do. Some people have, have traditionally thought that the end of the Winter Olympics on the 20th of February would be, that would be a day to watch. The Americans are obviously flagging up this Wednesday. But you know, I think the theory is that the ground will never be more suitable in terms of its, you know, frozen condition for a Russian military incursion uh, than it is going to be in the last couple of weeks of this month.
1: And Katie, finally, um, we've talked a little bit about Ben Wallace on this podcast, but the other two British politicians obviously taking the lead on this are Liz Truss and Boris Johnson. What, what what, do you make of how how much they've done for this? Obviously, Liz Truss had a not necessarily successful trip to Russia last
2: week. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting one. We've spoken about it before on this podcast in terms of Liz Truss's trip to Moscow, where she met Sergei Lavrov, her opposite number. I think that actually is pretty coordinated if you look at what Ben Wallace, Burroughs Johnson and Liz Truss are doing. You know, I think that since this trust has become foreign secretary, I think the foreign secretary and defence have been working mm. pretty in sync with one another. I don't think we saw that so much when it was Dominic Raab and Ben Wallace. Ben it Wallace has happen. today announced that he is coming back from a holiday to focus on Ukraine because there could be an invasion, um, which clearly draws parallels to Dominic Raab, who um, received a lot of criticism and not coming back from his holiday. And I don't think that is completely unintended by ben Wallace to draw comparisons between the two but i think that was a much more rocky relationship between foreign office and mod at that time because partly because things went so wrong with the afghanistan evacuation there was a blame game briefings from both sides from both departments and i think that we are seeing a much more functional relationship now obviously all relationships will have their own frictions but i think When you're looking at Liz Truss's trip to Moscow, I mean, I think there are clearly some who say she should never have gone in the first place knowing that person's character, but the fact that she was criticised after it does suggest she was holding the government line, which is what Mm -hmm. everyone has been doing on their various trips. Katie and
1: James, thanks very much, and thank you very much for listening. Join us again tomorrow.